0: Hi everybody, welcome to Radio 815. I am your co-host, Matt Crandall, here as always with Marcelo Inestroza. Today we are talking about the first half of Alias Season 2. We already reviewed the season premiere, The Enemy Walks In, in a previous podcast. This week we're taking a look at Episodes 2 through 12, um, which basically comprises the first half of Season 2, the the episodes that we're talking about are right before the big Super Bowl sort of relaunch of the back half of Alias. Um, so we're going to talk about the front half, the things we liked best, um, the episodes that we enjoyed, and just sort of the general arc that this show went on. This being the second season after being quite successful, J.J. as showrunner didn't write as many episodes in this batch. He wrote the premiere... And then he didn't actually get writing credit on any episode that we're going to talk about today. But as always, you can feel the JJ-ness and the fingerprints are there. Um, So, you know, this whole season, the main through line is that Sydney's mother, Irina, is back. She is working with the CIA and they kind of have her a little bit and, you know, she's not as sinister or as... Uh, you know, quick-witted as Hannibal Lecter, but the setup feels similar to that, where in these first couple episodes, you know, Sydney and Jack go and visit her in CIA custody, and she's behind glass, like Hannibal Lecter would be, and, you know, they talk to her, and they aren't sure if they can trust her or not, but she gives them intel as Sydney goes on these missions, and the whole time, this whole arc, we're wondering, where does Irina's allegiance actually lie? And is there a greater scheme at play? Marcella, what did you think about these first half of alias season two?
1: The thing that I really enjoyed about this first half of uh, season two, as you mentioned, now that um, Sydney's mother is working with the CIA, we really get a, a really interesting picture of the relationship between arena and Jack. Mm -hmm. And all throughout the first half, Jack constantly, I mean, nonstop questions the validity of uh, of Arena's information that she's given to the CIA with each mission that uh, uh, the CIA supposedly needs her help on. Mm -hmm. And I think that does a great job of showing how much uh, Jack quote-unquote, loved Arena, although he he doesn't really say it in the course of these uh, first half episodes, but you can clearly see that Jack has been really effed up by what Sidney's mom, <laughs> right. quote-unquote, Arena, did to Jack. The betrayal that Jack went through is just written all over his face when you hear him talk about Arena and try to explain to Sydney that, you know, your mother has to have an endgame. You know, there has to be something bigger here. And I just felt really, really bad for Mm -hmm. for uh, Jack. And, you know, just the way that he wasn't able to give, uh, for the lack of a better word, his wife, his ex-wife, for the lack of a better word, uh, the benefit of the doubt that her wanting to surrender to the CIA wasn't good faith, and it, and it wasn't part of a bigger, grander plan that she had. Also, there's a great line uh, in, um, in 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 one of the in one of the earlier episodes this season, where I believe I believe it's Sydney who says it to Jack, where she says something like. Uh oh my god mom you know you know uh what mom did to you must have been so bad that you actually lost your soul that you <clears> can't <throat> take it you you know she hurt you so much that that you actually lost who you were yeah you know and i just thought that was a great 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 line also this season we do find out that jack when sydney was a child jack uh for for lack of a better word didn't get the the parent of the year award by 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 running a, you know you know uh, illegal experiments on his child basically finding out if his child had tendencies to serve our government. I mean, who does that to their child? Who <laughs> who brainwashes their child and then lies about it? I did like the way that Jennifer Garner went about uh, 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 really peeling back that onion about um, finding out that she got basically she she was a test subject, and that Jack basically lied about uh, uh lied about that, and he and he basically hid it from her. Mm-hmm. But um, the the uh, the final note that I want to make here uh, is that you know despite Jack's um untrustworthiness of Arena, there's an episode where uh, Arena, Sydney, and Jack have to go on a mission together. And during that episode, despite Jack's inability to trust his ex-wife or his wife, for lack of a better Mm -hmm. word, um, you do see some moments of levity and some moments of trust developing there. And towards the end of the season, you do see that Jack is softening up a little bit to the idea of working with Arena although that towards the end of the season uh, uh, some other developments uh, uh, go down with Jack to where he's really put behind the eight ball and and Vaughn and the CIA have to bail him out because he's basically become enemy number one of uh, of XD6 because of uh, quote unquote uh, issues let's say and yeah. uh um so I'm really I'm really looking forward to how that uh all goes down in the second half.
0: Yeah, so what I really liked about the the Jack arc basically. Um you know, in the early episodes he is suspicious of Arena's motives, but also he's kind of jealous when Sydney is getting closer to Arena and trusting her and Jack you know, because him and Sydney have never had a good relationship, he sees this and he he wants to blow it up, uh, literally by uh, making it look like Arena lied to Sydney by paying off some guys to plant C four um, in the episode Dead Drop, uh, where you know Jack goes out of his way to sabotage Arena partly because he doesn't want Sydney to get hurt, but I think partly because he's jealous of this bond that she is forming with this woman that he knows, you know, she ruined his life at, at some point 20 years ago, so he doesn't want to see that happen again. But then, in the two-parter passage, part one and part two, directed by Ken Olin, the the trio, the family gets to go on the mission, and there is a lot of levity, and that feels like a pure like bickering parents on a mission impossible mission. Um, And so that two-parter is a ton of fun. One of the more fun like arcs of the series because Jack and Sydney only have gone on a couple of missions together, but to throw that wrench of arena into it, especially because her allegiance and where they lie throughout the two-parter is questioned. It makes for a really entertaining and, you know, enjoyable two hours of TV. And then, like you say, um, Jack starts to be enemy number one of SD6 because they throw in Faye Dunaway as Ariana Kane investigating the murder of Emily Sloane, which is, to be honest, the storyline that for most of this season I didn't care about until episode 12, The Getaway where finally they reveal like the one key twist because all of the stuff about Sloan's wife being dead, but not being dead and he thought he killed her, but someone gave her an antidote and then they had to pay a ransom. And I was just like, this is so convoluted and you know, we've already said goodbye to Emily. Sid had that nice moment at the funeral that I felt like all of that wasn't going anywhere. But then with, you know Sloane working his ass off to pin this all on Jack and make Jack persona non grata for SD6 and then to have that final reveal in episode 12 where Sloane shows up on that island beach and Emily is there um and you know Sloane has been behind all of this it just goes to show what a piece of crap Arvin Sloane truly is where you know his one his one lifelong friend Jack Bristow, he screws him over, even though, you know, Jack has been a double agent, but it's unbeknownst to Sloan. So it's, you know, kind of infuriating to see that Sloan's such a dink. Um, I do like that. There's a couple things I, l- I really like and I really hate about this season. Uh, I like they gave Will more to do. So Bradley Cooper gets a lot more going on. Because he's the one who's doing work for Vaughn. He does some research. He gets the CIA test. He's going to be, you know, an analyst. um, Which is awesome because I think Will is great. And they put him through the ringer. But now because he knows the secret. Him and Sydney have a lot of great scenes together. uh, Where they can talk about it. Talk about her job. But Francie really pays the price in screen time. Because she's completely sidelined for 90% of this first half up until the, I think it's episode 12 where she says like, what's going on guys. You're always talking and then shutting up as soon as I walk in the room and you know, they cover it up by throwing her a party. But that character got super sidelined for a lot of these episodes. Francie got sidelined. I felt like Dixon was barely in these um, because Sydney's always going on missions you know, with the family or she's gone on more missions with Vaughn than she has in the past. Um, But her and Dixon didn't have the same relationship in this first half that they did last year. And I kind of missed it. But to make up for that, she got to go on a mission with Marshall, which was one of my favorite episodes um, where Marshall is just hilarious. And then there's the twist of Marshall gets kidnapped and it's not by who they thought he was going to get kidnapped by. So I dig that. Um, and Terry O'Quinn basically replaced, you know, he's, he's at the CIA as one of the higher ups, but Weiss was non-existent until episode 12. He showed up again because, you know, Kendall was hanging out at the CIA, sort of doing all his scenes with Vaughn and with Jack that Weiss normally, I think would have taken over part of that role.
1: You mentioned that you didn't care much for Sloan's, uh, first half storyline, um, uh, you know, in the in the batch of episodes that we watched, I mm-hmm. really was on the other on the other um on the other side of that. Mm-hmm. I really enjoyed um basically, Sloane. What I thought, I really enjoyed seeing him being tortured.
0: Yeah, now, somebody I, messing with him. I
1: had, I had, no, I, I I had no recollection that he was the one that right engineered the whole thing. So. When I got to the end, I was like, you s- son of a <laughs> yeah. bitch. I was like, really? God, I, re- ah, I, 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 I was really disappointed. Um, but I did enjoy up, you know, uh, uh, once again, up until that reveal with Emily on uh, staying at the b- beach house. I did enjoy <laughs> on the Lost Island. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I did enjoy um, Sloane's acting of him being tortured and, and basically the storyline of a Sloan being blackmailed uh, by Mm -hmm. someone. Right. Um, The, the other thing that I want to point out here is you mentioned at the top of the show that JJ didn't do a lot of writing, uh, you know, as far as this first half is concerned, I noticed that too. But the other thing that I noticed and the other thing that I was happy about was uh well you probably guess you probably know what I'm going to say yeah uh, a large chunk of the first half was written by my two guys so I was thoroughly yep. happy with that but did you know well I don't I don't know if you noticed this Matt but um their their executive producer credits um were switched around halfway through the run I don't know. I don't know if Marcy did this or if her partner did this, but in in uh, in um, in the first episode that they wrote together in the season, um, Alex Alex's name Alex Alex's name was on top of Bob's name, and then uh, and then in the, in the in the next episode that they wrote together, it was reversed. Also, did you notice that? under, uh, Alex had a third, uh, yeah, uh, Kurtzman counter. Yeah. I was like, I was like, what, I was like, what is that? I've always, I've always wondered what the hell that's about because now I, I mean, I mean to go off, uh, uh, to go a little bit off track here. Sorry guys. <laughs> now, you know, everything that, uh, everything that Alex has done, he's always been, uh, uh, you know, um, Alex you know, Kurtzman. Uh, thank you. Uh, thank you so much. I, I, I freaking froze on that. He's always been Alex Kurtzman. He's he like, I've only seen him as Alex counter in this thing. And I'm like, what the hell is that from? I'm like, what, what does that mean? I was like, what, did, did did, he have a third, like, 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 like halfway through the season, did he come to, you know, uh, the editors and say, listen, uh, I want you to add my third name in there. Or what was that all about? I don't know. So I, I
0: I looked it up briefly because I I was wondering what was up because um he was born Alexander Kurtzman, but he was his wife's name is Samantha Counter, oh. so I guess he was trying to be like progressive and he took his um wife's name wife's last name. And then partway through, I don't know if they're still together or not, um, but uh, maybe he just decided at some point, nah, it's just easier, especially when he wanted to make you know a career as a a director and stuff. Right. it's just easier to have a shorter name, right? It confuses yeah. people if it's too long.
1: Yeah, no, I I um, was really really intrigued about that. And to be honest, I was hoping that that you were going to dig that up, and I'm so happy you did, <laughs> um, because I was like, "What the hell is that all about?" Um, the the last thing that I'll say about this season that I enjoyed very very much, and I don't know how you feel about this, but I in the in the you know in the first season of Alias, I really didn't like the actor who played uh, uh, Sark. I yep. you know I I basically boiled him boiled him up to being a British bad guy who didn't have that much I I thought that he didn't have much to him right um but with him basically hatching a plot to kill Sloane um and then with you know uh and and then him basically joining XD six and working with Sloane yeah I I've really grown to like him and his in his sleaziness uh he's uh um I, I, once again i don't know who the actor is but the the way that the actor plays it I, I i think that he his his charisma for some reason just just hit me more uh in the second season than it did in the first and i thought um like i they gave more to
0: do David Andrews as Sark got to be, you know, a little bit more surly and have have a lot more story to work with. Um, and I always thought that he's like a really fun, you just love to hate him kind of bad guy. Mm-hmm. Um now, at this point, he's still like kind of playing by the rules, but uh he becomes a, a bit of a a bigger jerk as we go, but in like a charming way. And I think that that actor um did a really good job with it, so much so that. He just was on uh, iZombie for five years playing Blaine, who was basically like a, a cut and dried version of Sark. Sark is a zombie because um, he was, you know, charismatic, but also an evil dick. And uh, I really like that guy. He's he's great. Um, and I I did think that that episode um, where, you know, Vaughn gets exposed to the virus and Sydney has to go and get the the counter agent and Sark says like, haha, ha, I gotcha. And she's trapped. And he makes her do that deal where we think that he's going to kill Sloan it was one of my favorite episodes because it was fun to see Sydney do this mission that the stakes are so high where she's got to save Vaughn. Um, and I think that in the episodes leading up to this, they've really strengthened Sydney and Vaughn's dynamic. Um, they've given them, more to do. They've fleshed out Vaughn. They've told us about his girlfriend and, you know, Sydney has confessed that she has feelings for Vaughn. So I really liked that they put her in that situation but then they team her up with Sark and it's like, oh no, she's gotta work with the enemy but they're gonna capture her enemy but then you're like, but where's the other shoe gonna drop and what's it gonna be? And then it's when she shows up to work the next day and Sloane is not dead and Sark now works at SD6 and you're like, what the hell is the is behind this? Like, what is this guy's end game? So I thought that that was fun. That we were still guessing, like, what is actually at play with those characters. The one thing that kind of gets me a little bit down um, is that the Rambaldi stuff was so interesting and out there in season one, and it's it's basically shelved. Like, they barely mention Rambaldi in this se- first half of the season, and they added that weird. Jason Bourne Treadstone Sydney was trained to be a spy as a child kind of thing that I I don't necessarily dig. I didn't really love that idea. It seemed it didn't seem like, you know, something that felt like pure JJ. It felt like ripped from something else and just thrown into Alias whereas the Rambaldi, you know, prophecy and all that, I'm more into that slightly supernatural weirdness um that we didn't get a lot of in these episodes.
1: I find myself caring less about the overall mystery box of the Rimbaldi thing. I find myself caring more about Sydney and her relationship with her parents at this point.
0: Yeah, and I think that's the intent, is that this first half is about the family dynamic and how that can change and can you win back the trust that is, you know non-existent from the get-go mm-hmm.
1: also I do want to mention that in that episode where Vaughn becomes infected um, when Sydney goes to see him the piece of music that they use uh, the song that they use is so great that I actually looked it up and I put it in my uh, I put it in my one of my playlists on uh, YouTube music I liked it so much um, mm-hmm. I, I just think that, that that was a great piece of music that uh michael chose to use and speaking of michael um i thought what, what was the on. song
0: dude? what was the what,
1: what's um, the you know, like the name of it uh i don't have it on hand but i will send it to you i i have it here <laughs> it's it's I, fine don't so, worry about it keep, I, um, keep going talk about michael cicchino's uh, yes. awesome score um unlike you well well i know in season one you were kind of on the fence. you didn't really like the techno music Mm -hmm. aspect of the show in season one. Um, But I I do think that Michael really has picked up his game in season two. And I think that season two sounds more, uh, forgive the, the, the uh, example here, but it's apt, especially when talking about alias. I think that season two sounds, it's, it's more of a mission uh, sounding score Mm-hmm. Than than season one was season one to me was a little bit more like uh electronic in some points yeah um which I didn't mind but clearly you did and I I really I really think that uh, the music has gotten so much better uh, this season I really enjoyed that
0: yeah I thought Chiquino's work got better as the first season went on and this season has been particularly strong because there still is that electronic techno elements sometimes but there's a lot more classical sort of themes weaving their way through and i really enjoyed the music worked a lot better for the situations i felt whereas those first couple episodes it just felt like hip hip electronic music for no reason but now it's part of the alias aesthetic so i'm i'm used to it
1: um the thing that I like about alias is even, even after you watch a bunch of episodes and clearly we watched a bunch of episodes. Yeah. Um, I like, like I, like I said at the beginning of alias, when we started covering it, when it comes to JJ stuff, this is the, this is like the, the, the black hole of his, uh, filmography that I have. Mm -hmm. And I have no idea where we're going, or what's basically coming. Right. And I think, uh, that's a wonderful feeling, but uh, I feel kind of unprepared because you probably have an idea of where we're going, and I I, I don't. So um, I I'm I'm very very happy about not knowing, but I'm kind of nervous. Yeah. Because the show has been really really solid uh, so far, and I know it goes off a cliff. Yeah. But I don't. <laughs> What, what, what I don't want to happen is I I don't want it to go off a cliff just yet.
0: Right. Well, and it doesn't. So, so like not to, just to give a small like preview of where Alias is heading. Um, this season really good. There's a couple of things they do in season three that drove me crazy, but it's just as like a fan, you know, you knew that they had to throw a few wrenches in like TV style to stop certain things from happening. But it's it's like season 4 and part of 5 where you're just like, "Oh. There's a few things that they try that don't feel at home in the Alias universe." Um and those are also the seasons where JJ was not the showrunner and he turned the show over and was just a little bit too busy. And um I think he he just said like go do what you want. And they wanted to get a little bit weird and add like a few things too many. It was like everything in the kitchen sink when it was like, well, the things that I gave you were working so well. Why didn't you throw in so much stuff that we didn't need? But we're, we're still like quite a few episodes away from that. And, um, you know, the thing I do like about this first half is that it still has that every time an episode ends, it, it's like ends at like the worst possible moment where you're like, oh, my God, I got to watch the next one like right now, um, which is nice that they could still keep up like these cliffhangers and continuations that make you want to keep watching, because this was basically near the start of bingeable TV. Um, and it was not something that every show on a major network like ABC was capable of.
1: One problem that I find myself having as a, as I've gone through JJ's filmography, and this is really no fault of alias or no fault of loss or no fault of fringe. But one problem that I've always had with, with JJ as a creative force and that I have with uh, some other of my favorite writers, I don't like the fact I, I find it really annoying that he hops around, like he starts something but he doesn't stick around <laughs> and then he gets a shiny it. new toy and moves on, right? Yeah, I don't like like look, I get it. I understand. Look, if I was in his position, well, if I was in his position and if I create a show, I'm going to I'm going to drive that child into the ground. either <laughs> Yeah, right um, until the wheels fall off. Yeah, I'm gonna, well, as me as a writer, I'm going to ride my show until either it flies or the wheels fall off. I'm I'm, yeah. I'm not I am not the t- if i if i create a show i'm going to stick with it i'm not going to create the shiny new toy and, and, and when somebody buys me something else i'm not going to drop it right mm-hmm. so that so like i said that that has nothing to do with alias but that has something to do with jj as a creative force and since this is a, since this is a podcast about his material and his career how do you feel about um, jj doing that with not only Alias, as he clearly does, but with his other work, how do you feel about the fact that he starts off excellent things, but he has this tendency of leaving his projects to go and do something else? How do you feel about that as a fan of his? It is frustrating. Now,
0: you know, like, when he did Alias and he was the showrunner and he, you know, head writer and all this stuff, and then it's successful and he passes it on to his buddies while he goes to do something else. And he kicks off lost in grand fashion and he's producing a lot of other stuff. It, it's frustrating. Like I get it when he starts to direct movies that, you know, now, now in 2020, the divide between movie and TV is so slim. But in 2005, you know, being a TV guy or being a movie guy, it, it felt like a big difference. You know what I mean? Um, it's in notoriety and probably paycheck and, and power and all that kind of thing. So I understand why, you know, Mission Impossible 3 came out in 2006, so they probably were working on it from 2004 and beyond. So J.J.'s working on Alias doing the, the pilot of Lost and he gets a call from Tom Cruise. I kind of get why he would say, "Oh, I'm gonna step away from these things that I've created, and I'm gonna focus on this other thing." Um, but it, like, it's it is really frustrating because you want him because he's so good when he's when he's on and he's thought it out that you want him to see it through, which of course. As everyone famously now, the the whole Star Wars thing comes down to the same issue, right?
1: Yeah.
0: He, he launched the new Star Wars. He passed it off to somebody else thinking he wasn't going to have to see it through. Then when he came back for the third, had to, f- to you know, retool everything. And it made no one happy <laughs> because it's like, oh, if only one guy had planned out the roadmap for this entire trip... It would feel more cohesive instead of, you know, like we got four different navigators and nobody can agree where we're heading.
1: I don't mean to make it sound that I'm trashing on JJ. I'm not. But I'm just overly, I am so frustrated with 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 his working style. Like, and as a I, fan, I like, think it's perfectly valid for for you to
0: feel that way, right? Yeah,
1: I, yeah, I, I, like, like for example, when I go into a JJ project, I know, I know that he's gonna be there for a while, but then he's yeah. gonna leave, right? right. I, it's like I, 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 know he's gonna do that, but that that's not a here nor there. Listen, guys, I'm really sorry for going off on that tangent, <laughs> but um, um, uh, I, I, I really enjoyed. The first half of Alias uh, season two uh, because I loved uh, the family dynamic between Sydney, Arena, and Jack. And I loved that subplot that Sloan came up with. And I was really pissed, like I said, I was really pissed that that was just him. Mm-hmm. But if I had to really uh, rate this first half, I would give it a solid uh, uh, seven. Seven. I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah,
0: I'd give it a seven as well, and I would say the only reason is that some of it starts to feel a little bit repetitive, and, you know, I love the family dynamic, but there were a few things that they didn't do that I, I wish they had done, and a few things that they did that I didn't necessarily love, but as we're heading into this second half, you know, we'll talk more next week, the next episode, the big Super Bowl episode is the one that blows everything up and says, we know that the show was starting to, to feel a little bit, you know, plot wise going through the motions. Bam. We've revamped the whole thing. So next week, when we talk about the back half um, of this season, you know, or, or most of the back half, uh, we definitely will have a lot to talk about because there's a big shift coming up in alias uh, next week. So if you want to get in touch with us, if you have any questions, hit us up on Twitter with hashtag Radio 815. If we ever see anything on there, we will shout it out on the show and answer any questions or or feedback. Um, If you want to get in touch with me, also on Twitter, at Matt Crandall is the best spot to do it. Marcelo, where can the people reach you?
1: Yeah, well, guys, if you want to get in touch with me and and tell me how much of an idiot I am for holding Jay-Z to such high standards... Um, you can also get in touch with me on Twitter, just, uh, I'm at Twitter and my handle is Creek 88. All right. So that is the first
0: half of alias season two. Next week, we will be taking a look at episodes 13 through 21. We will save the big explosive finale for its own episode. So we appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate you listening. If you like the show, tell your friends and we will see you next time. Take care.